welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 313. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. We've got a longer story for you this week, this week and next week actually. We're breaking it up into two parts, and I think you're going to enjoy. We bring you The Blue Celeb by Desmond Warzel. Desmond's the author of more than two dozen short stories in the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genres. His works appeared in a number of periodicals, including Abyss and Apex and Shroud, and in anthologies such as Night Terrors and Timelines. He lives and writes in northwestern Pennsylvania. This story first appeared in the January 2013 issue of F&SF. The story is read to you by Patrick Bazil. Patrick's a voiceover talent and a new and fresh sound in the voiceover industry. Born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, Patrick's voiced everything from PSAs to major product brand commercials and movie trailers to documentaries. Find and hire him for your next project at www.patrickbazil.com. So without further ado, we bring you part one of The Blue Celeb by Desmond Orzal. When me and Joe got home from Vietnam, we went into business together, cutting hair. Bought a little shop in the old neighborhood and been there ever since. Back then, wisecracking Harlem brothers weren't a cliche yet, at least not south of 110th Street. Me and Joe opened up the shop at 10 in the a.m., seven days a week, without fail. By five after, I'm halfway through the sports section and Joe's halfway through the day's first beer. A regular routine, that's what I like. Never had a change come around here that didn't turn out to be for the worse, sooner or later. Last change came about six weeks ago, only we didn't know it at the time, and we didn't understand what we were really looking at until just today. It was Monday morning, 10 o'clock. I flipped the sign to open and paged through the post in search of the Yankees' latest shenanigans, while Joe retrieved Heineken number one from the dorm-style cube fridge under the back counter. At quarter past, Miss Loretta showed up, just like always, all part of the routine. She ain't a small woman, so she don't show up all at once. I don't know Miss Loretta's weight, and it's not proper to speculate, but watching her carry it all around with nothing but a cane in each hand for support, well, it's nothing short of impressive. Balance-wise, it must be like trying to sit on a stool with one leg missing. So we saw her coming. It takes her about 10 minutes to get across the street. But she's like a glacier. To the naked eye, she don't even seem to move. But in the end, there's no escape. She'd come, as usual, to give Joe hell about his drinking. She usually starts warming up on the sidewalk, so she's in full voice when she finally eases the door open. And then you'll be sorry, Joe Reese. Joe didn't say nothing. You hear me, Joe Reese? Miss Loretta? My wife starts in on me at seven every morning. By the time you get here, I'm acclimated. Don't hear a thing. Then she turned her wrath on me, as usual. And you, Bill Wiggins. Every morning, he opens up a beer and you do nothing to stop him. You call yourself a friend? Friend, said Joe. What friend? All me and Bill do is argue. You just never close your mouth long enough to notice. God's going to punish you, Joe Reese. You'll burn. See if you don't. Miss Loretta will go to church on you in a second, if she gets a chance. 
Joe's only answer was to take a healthy swig of Heineken and savor it, swishing it around in his mouth like we were at a wine tasting. One of these days, I just won't darken your doorstep anymore. Then you'll be lost for good. Joe swallowed the beer. Darken the doorstep? Woman, you darken the whole damn... Thank you, Miss Loretta, I interrupted. Your concern, as always, is appreciated. She was still carrying on as the door closed behind her, and she kept it up the whole way down the sidewalk. I always find myself holding my breath until she's out of sight. Well, I said, going back to the sports section, that's out of the way. One of these days, skip the beer. I'd like to see the look on her face if she thought you'd quit. She might even leave us alone. Joe thought about it, then took another drink. Nope, not worth it. And hey, he said, why didn't you tell me you were buying a car? Keep drinking, Joe, I said. You still got enough brain cells left to be dangerous. Uncalled for. I'm looking out the front window. I see a car. Maybe you see something different when you look out. I don't know. He was right. There was a car parked out front. A boxy four-door. Light blue. Like a bad prom tuxedo. Looked like a mid-80s Chevy celebrity. Must have been about the last one left on the road. But it wasn't mine. I haven't owned a car in ten years. Well... I don't see nobody else in here, said Joe. Maybe it's your car and you're too drunk to remember. It was here when I got here. Was it? The street's usually empty. We're the only storefront on our side that isn't boarded up. And most of the businesses arrive on foot. So that robin's egg colored eyesore should have stood out like a neon sign. But to be honest, I didn't remember seeing it. Then again, at my age, what does that prove? Wouldn't be caught dead in that thing, even if I did still have a license, said Joe. Too bad, I said. It's a perfect fit for you. Old and ugly. But if I were you, I'd paint it red. Go with your eyes better. Just then, the first customer of the day came in. Curtis, a 30-year regular. Morning, Curtis. You want me or Joe? How much you had to drink, Joe? Joe held up the half-empty bottle of Heineken. Just this. Okay, I'll take you, Bill. Joe ain't no good until he's got a six-pack in him. Joe gave his token protest, and I set the lathering Curtis up. Then two more customers came in, and the barbershop talk began in earnest. I didn't give the car any more thought until we were locking up for the night, and by then my dogs were barking so bad, I wouldn't have cared if there was a North Vietnamese T-54 parked out front. I just wanted to get home and soak my feet. But more than a week went by, and the thing was still out there. It was a Friday, but business was slow as an arthritic snail. Hardly a face had shown itself, but for Miss Loretta. And she don't count, because she ain't a customer. More like an occupational hazard. And me and Joe were stuck with each other for company. The blue celeb had become a running joke. We'd accuse each other of owning the thing and being too ashamed to admit it. But the gag was wearing thin. And right when I figured it was worn clean through, in walked just the man to get something done about it. Francis Boone, Frank to his friends, a very small group in which I'm proud to be included. He started out his career on foot patrol here in Harlem about the same time me and Joe opened up. He soon began patronizing our shop, having gotten to his head some idealistic notion that a cop ought to engage with the neighborhood he worked in, whether or not they engaged him back. And though he quickly switched to motor patrol, I'm a slave to that damn radio, and shot up through the ranks, just rising to my level of incompetence, and was now an assistant chief and commanding officer of Manhattan South, 
nice raise, but the increment isn't worth the excrement. He still slept all the way back here every couple of weeks so I could give a go at his flat top. We liked it just fine. Regular police presence meant less trouble for us, and he was easy for the riffraff to spot. Usually, he was the only white face in the joint. More important, nothing in this world could get him to accept a free haircut. Frank hugged up his jacket and hoisted himself into my chair. Not so easy a feat as it was back in the day. He nodded at the car out front. Who's celebrity? Joe's, I said. Bill's, Joe said. I don't blame either of you for disavowing it. How long has it been there? Week and a half, I said. That long? How can it still be there? Frank craned his neck towards the front window, trying to see down the street to the corner. What are the parking regulations on this block anyway? Signs have been missing for so long, I couldn't really tell you. I think the street cleaners would have had something to say about that by now. Frank, they ain't been a street cleaner on this block since Carter was in office. That I can believe. You ought to file a complaint with the city. We did in 1983. We're still waiting. Lesson learned. And usually, it only took a few minutes for me to finish knocking off the ends of Frank's hair. We talked some baseball while I evened out the sides and brushed them off. Me and Joe liked the Yankees. Frank's a Mets fan, born and raised in Flushing. Then we adjourned to the sidewalk to discuss the matter of the car. Except for Frank's silver mercury, it was the only car on the block. We circled it, the three of us, Frank peering in each window with a cop's practiced eye. He was hoping to find some excuse to search the car without the owner's say-so. A body, maybe, or at least a crack pipe in plain sight, but no dice. Apart from being in serious need of reupholstering, looked like someone went at the seats with a weed eater. The interior of the thing was immaculate. It's funny, said Frank. The two gentlemen whose profession depends on keen eyesight and attention to detail could have stared at this car for over a week and not noticed that the keys are in the ignition. That solves it then, said Joe. We'll move it around the corner so we don't have to look at it no more. I ain't got no license, Bill, so you have to do it. Go on, get in. What do you think, Frank? Look the other way a minute, help a brother out? I would say that falls in the category of things you should wait to do until after I leave. How, I asked, can a car sit here this long in the neighborhood with the keys in it? Look at it. Who would want it? I wonder if it even runs, said Frank. He took a notebook from his pocket and jotted down the celeb's license plate in the VIN off the dash. Only one way to find out. Get in there, Bill. Start her up. What part of after I leave didn't you understand? Don't worry, Frank, I said. I've been honest my whole life, and if I do start a life of crime, it ain't going to be with a 25-year-old car. Besides which, I kind of want to wait to see if anybody comes back for it. I want to see what this nut looks like. Fast forward about a month. That brings us to last Tuesday. The celeb was still out there. We hardly talked about it anymore. It was just part of the landscape now, like a piece of graffiti or a busted sidewalk. It bothers you for a while, but soon enough, you put it out of your mind because you got more important things to worry over. And griping over folks' thoughtlessness doesn't pay the rent. It was the end of summer vacation for me and Joe. That's the busiest time of the year because during that week, if you're under 18, your haircut's on the house. We've been doing that since we opened. If these boys want to run around all summer looking like wild men of Borneo, 
I guess that's their parents' business. But the way I was raised, you get your hair cut for the first day of school. And if it's free, there ain't no excuse. For the girls either, I got deals with the salons in the neighborhood to do their hair at no charge that week and send me the bill for their time and expenses. I figure if you look good, you feel good. And then maybe you'll do good. I don't know if that holds water, but nothing else has worked. So what have I got to lose by trying? That year, the turnout seemed a bit low. Why? If haircuts were free, wouldn't you make your boy get one? My mother sure would have. Even so, it was hellacious business. You know how kids are. They come in waves a dozen at a time, raising all kinds of cane in my shop and on the sidewalk outside. Me and Joe would work the scissors and clippers as fast as our own hands allowed. But they just keep coming. All of them dressed in that oversized basketball gear that passes for casual wear nowadays. Like we've been invaded by an army of miniature LeBron Jameses. As if the original wasn't more than enough. After a while, it's like any assembly line job. It gets so you don't notice the time slipping by. Five hours had passed without my even knowing. Except that my belly was beginning to kick up a fuss and I was thinking about going for a bite. Work be damned. What finally made me look up was a sudden break in the commotion. There was a new arrival on the sidewalk out front, Maurice Williams. And I'm not talking about the front man for the Zodiacs. We weren't about to be treated to an acapella rendition of Stay. I'm talking about the guy they called Big Time. I don't have to describe Big Time. You all know the type, loud and cocky. 30 years old, but dressed like a kid. Never works, but always has money to flash around because he moves more junk than a garbage barge. Thinks he's something special even though there's another one just like him on every street. And those boys out there flock to him like Superman just landed. How come? All he had going for him was some cash. If money's all they care about, why not idolize Morgan Freeman or C.C. Sabatha? Hell, he works right up the road. <clears throat> well, Joe looked outside the same time I did. Saw big time, glad handing those boys and damn near flew out the door yelling to wake the dead. Boy, you better get on away from here. That got a smirk from Big Time. Got smirks from some of the boys, too. It don't take them long to pick up that stuff. Who you calling boy, old head? Maybe I come for my free haircut. These are school haircuts, boy. If you ever set foot in the school, I ain't heard about it. Big Time made like he was coming at Joe. Joe didn't even blink. Ain't nobody scared of you here. Come on inside. I'll knock your junky ass out. Big Time started darting his eyes around, looking for something he could latch on to to save face in front of the kids. He saw the blue celeb. That your car, old head? Looks like it. Tell you what, I'll go steal it. Then you won't have to be embarrassed by it no more. Big Time strolled over to the car. The boys parted to let him pass like they were the damn Red Sea. You watch, he said to them. I'm going to take this old nigga's car and he's just going to stand there and do nothing. He opened the celeb's driver's side door, and then he started cracking up. Hey, old head, you left the keys in it. You dumb as hell. You go ahead and take that car, boy, called Joe. Do your mama a favor and drive it into the East River. Drive it anywhere you want, I said to myself. Just get it the hell out of here. Well, he tried. The celeb wouldn't turn over. I can't say I was surprised. As far as I knew, the thing hadn't started since it showed up. That battery had to have been deader than Elvis. The celeb's door opened up and Big Time stepped back out onto the pavement. Hey, old head, your car don't start. What'd you do, sell the motor? You need some quick cash for Viagra? 
That got a laugh from the kids. Big Time must have figured it was a good exit line because he sauntered off down the sidewalk and turned the corner. And all he left behind was admiring looks on some of the boys' faces, which took way too long to fade. Where are those short attention spans when you need them? Next morning, no kids yet, too early. Joe was nursing the Heineken. Miss Loretta was haranguing him about it. And Assistant Chief Frank Boone of New York's Finest was sitting in my chair trying his best not to crack a smile. Joe Reese, you better change your ways and fast. You better pick yourself up out the gutter. You crawl any deeper into that bottle and you'll never come out again. Miss Loretta, I said, every day about a hundred grand worth of crack cocaine passes this shop. Why don't you go out and give some of them dealers a hard time instead of picking on an old veteran? Those young men need ministering to, but I ain't the one to do it. They just as soon kill you as look at you. No respect for women. I might be righteous, but I ain't crazy. I come in here. At least I know I won't get shot. You go on thinking that, Joe said and polished off his bottle. Miss Loretta turned to Frank. You see how he speaks to a lady? That's the liquor talking. That's right, said Joe. You so damn annoying, even beverages talk back to you. That was enough for Miss Loretta, so she finished up her lecture and left. That is a singular lady, said Frank, after Miss Loretta receded out of sight. You're damn right she's singular, Joe said. Would you marry her? Have another drink, Joe. I went back to work on Frank's flat top. He let it go longer than usual. So anything new and interesting happening downtown? Nothing nearly so interesting as what's going on right here, said Frank. How's that? The celeb out there? I finally ran it. The VIN doesn't exist. That's strange enough, but the license plates don't exist either. Never issued. Nobody can tell me why. It simply isn't in the system. The plates are fake? No, that's just it. They're real. Or they look real enough to fool me, anyway. Up-to-date registration sticker and an alphanumeric pattern is right. Would be right if it hadn't been skipped over. Except, I said, it hasn't been skipped over because those plates are sitting right outside. I finished up with Frank and brushed him off. He stood and stretched. If you ask me, he said, this silliness has gone on long enough. If you want that car out of here, I'll arrange to tow it. Hell, the keys are still in it. I'll drive it to the impound myself if it starts. You guys can come along. The catharsis would do you good. Funny you should mention it, said Joe. It don't start. In fact, just yesterday. But Frank had quit listening already. Something else had his attention. Then we heard it too. Sirens, both long and short, all mixed up together. The three of us leaned out the front door all at the same time, Three Stooges style, and squinted down the street, none of our eyes being what they used to be. It was about five or six blocks down, a big crowd and lots of flashing lights, but we couldn't make out any more than that. I'll be back in a minute or two, gentlemen. While Frank was gone, a couple of customers drifted in, both school age, both freebies. Me and Joe went to work. Ten minutes later, Frank came back. Well, that was a hell of a mess. He saw the boys in the chairs and trailed off in a hurry. He sat real quiet until we were done. As they left, Frank told them to go on home. Don't be nosing around all that commotion out there. Sure enough, they made a beeline right for it. When the coast was clear, Joe retrieved his beer and took a swig. So what's all that ruckus? He asked. Either of you gentlemen know a man named Maurice Williams? Big time, me and Joe said together. That's the one. Funny, said Joe. I was about to tell you before. 
He put in an appearance here just yesterday. He was messing around in that car out there. Couldn't get it started, though. Why? What'd he do this time? Nothing, said Frank. Nor is he likely to. Mr. Williams has gone to his final reward, courtesy of the number 101 bus. I had never seen beer come out of Joe's nose before, and the look on Frank's face suggested he hadn't expected laughter. Apparently, Mr. Williams just stepped into the street out of nowhere. The witnesses all say it happened too quickly to be avoided. The driver's really upset about it. Well, if he knew who he hit, he wouldn't be. Come on, Joe. I couldn't help myself. Figures. The one day the 101 runs on schedule and he clobbers somebody. Bet he won't make that mistake again. Man, I told big time those transfers ain't good for a return trip, said Joe. He was practically howling. But the brother wouldn't listen. And now look what happened. Come on, guys. The cop is supposed to be the most cynical one in the room. A man lies dead. It doesn't matter who he is. It's still a tragedy. Othello is a tragedy, Frank, I said. You've been off the street too long. There's some people the world's better off without. And you know it. I'm sure Mr. Williams has a mother. And I'm sure she's going to feel differently. Oh, we'll be hearing from her. Don't you worry, said Joe. And by the time the city's done paying her off, you ain't going to have a pension left, Frank. Going to be a vigil pretty soon, I said. Damn straight. Bunch of hypocrites milling around with candles blocking traffic, keeping one eye peeled for the news camera so they can sob about what a nice, friendly guy he was. Don't matter how many people he shot or how many babies he made or how much junk he pushed. It'll still be nice guy. What a tragedy. Wow. Frank put on his coat real slow, just shaking his head. You know, Joe, nothing you say surprises me. You don't have two intact brain cells to rub together. It's hard work living down to your expectations, Frank. He turned to me. But you, Bill, this isn't like you. I couldn't think of anything to say. Frank was almost out the door when Joe piped up. See you in a couple of weeks, Frank? I wouldn't miss it, gentlemen. And the door closed behind him. We didn't alienate him too bad, I guess. That isn't like me, he said. Sure it is. Yeah, it's true. I'm the friendly neighborhood barber, always ready with a kind word or sympathetic ear or a dirty joke or whatever else you need. But life itself, even the happiest life, is hard enough. I got no use for somebody who earns his living making it worse. Frank's a cop. He understands that, even if he wouldn't admit it then. Adios big time, I thought to myself, and to the hell with you. With Miss Loretta and Frank both out the way, we got through the rest of the day without anyone else passing judgment on us. After we closed up, I went and had my supper at Scruffy's Barbecue. Later on, I'd be regretful of all that hot sauce, but some days I just ain't in a hurry to run home and spend the evening in the company of the TV. You understand? Or you will, one day. Well, me and Scruffy, being fellow entrepreneurs, we got to talking about this and that, and so it was almost dark when I got out of there. And although I usually wouldn't pass by the shop on the way home from Scruffy's, I started thinking we hadn't seen the owner of that powder blue celeb, but we only been watching for him during the day. If he ever did show up, it would probably be after hours when nobody was around. So instead of going straight home, I went back the way I'd come. Damned if there weren't two people sitting in the car when I got there. No, it wasn't the owners. Just a couple of kids horsing around. They split when they saw me coming. There's hope for them, I thought. At least they had the sense to be afraid of being caught. 
that put them one up on most of the punks who run around here. On Saturday, day before yesterday, Frank Boone came back to the shop. Joe started riding right away. Another haircut? Ain't I a surgeon? They don't make scissors fine enough to cut hair that short. Maybe he's thinking of getting a place up here, I said. Please don't, said Joe. The second you move into this neighborhood, it'll get all gentrified. Property values will shoot up and you'll put us out of business. Frank pulled a bunch of bills from his pants pocket. If you put half the effort into running your business as you do into perfecting your comedy routines, you would have noticed that I forgot to pay for my haircut on Wednesday. Come to think of it, he had. For that, you come all the way up here? I don't usually go to the office on Saturdays. There's nothing good playing at the movies, so it's either this or spend a day with my family. I took his money, and gladly, except for Miss Loretta, there hadn't been a soul in the joint all day. Have a seat on his aid and shoot the breeze a while. Frank helped himself to a chair in the waiting area. We chewed the fat about the usual. Frank's rambunctious kids, Joe's nagging wife, and worked our way around to the subject of the blue celeb. Saw some kids messing in it the other night, I said. I told you Wednesday, said Frank. Say the word and I'll get it out of here. Between the car appearing out of nowhere and the non-existent license plates, we got ourselves a genuine mystery here. You tow it, it'll just rust away to nothing in some impound lot, and I'll still be wondering about it when I'm lying in my grave. If you ask me, Bill, it's more of a nuisance than a mystery. I'd like to lock it up, I said. Keep the kids out. But I can't lock the keys inside, obviously. You could lock it up and keep the keys here in your shop, said Frank. And if the owner shows up while we're closed, then what? Bill, I believe you may be overthinking this a little. Just then, a pack of three regulars came in. Terrence, Rich, and Oscar. Terrence and Rich saw both chairs empty and headed for them. Oscar did a quick about face, exiting the shop and walking back down the street, all casual like. Oscar had a minor warrant or two out on him. He must have recognized Frank and gotten spooked. Me and Joe set to work on Terrence and Rich. They were usually excitable guys, but today the conversation was real subdued. Our customers all know that, as cops go, Frank's one of the good ones. But it's difficult for a brother to be himself around the police, and old habits die hard. Pretty soon, Frank gave up on the conversation and leafed through a stack of newspapers and magazines instead. We finished up the haircuts in a hurry and it just felt like it took all day. Terrence and Rich paid and left without hanging around to chew the fat. Damn, Frank, I said. Way to work the room, officer bring down. But Frank's attention was occupied by a flimsy newspaper he'd rescued from the stack. The Harlem Renaissance, he read. What's this? Some weekly paper. It's a freebie. Girl comes in and leaves it here, whether I want it or not. Look at this, said Frank. You know, it's nothing personal. I love you guys. If not like brothers, then at least like cordial acquaintances. But I don't miss working up here every day. This place gets weirder all the time. Did you read this? Probably not, I said. What is it? Two kids burglarized the sixth floor apartment. They go to leave and find the door blocked by a 90-year-old occupant brandishing a 12-gauge shotgun. Good for him. They hightail it out the window, but it's dark so they don't see that part of the fire escape isn't there and they end up taking the express six stories straight down to the sidewalk. Jesus, when did that happen, Frank? Thursday night, he handed me the paper. The story read just like Frank said, but I didn't get to the end. My eyes got hung up on the photos of the deceased burglars. The boys' names, Kevin Johnson and Andre Porter, didn't ring a bell, 
but there wasn't any mistake in the faces scowling at me off that page. They were the two kids I chased out of the blue celeb on Wednesday. Well, I've always thought that the strangest thing about coincidences is that they really do happen, all the time. Otherwise, they wouldn't need a word for them. Can't make me like them, though. I couldn't sleep. And endless George Lopez reruns on Nick at night just weren't doing it for me. Rather than wander the streets that time of night, I'd come down with insomnia, not stupidity. I went to the shop and sat in my chair in the dark, watching the dealers and crackheads go by and lying to myself that I wasn't staking out the blue celebrity, meaning to raid Joe's beer stash to smooth the way for Mr. Sandman. I stood and stretched. All the joints in my body cracked at once. I don't like that. At my age, I don't know how many cracks I got left in me, and I hate to waste them. But I didn't have time to worry about that. While I wasn't looking, somebody gotten into the celeb, and I thought it might be the owner. For one thing, he was white. These days, there's a lot of places in Harlem where you can leave white folks unattended and they'll be okay. This wasn't one of those places, and sure as hell not at night. You see a white guy in this neighborhood after dark, you better believe he's here for a purpose. Either that, or he's so stoned or crazy, he don't know what's going on. Could have handled it better. The guy saw me and took off running. I don't think I'm that scary looking. Maybe he was just afraid of black people. Or maybe he was just afraid of black people who come running out of buildings in the middle of the night, waving their arms, yelling, Is that your car? I guess I got overexcited, but I wasn't letting this go. I was too close to the bottom of it. The chase was on. I'm a man who knows his limitations, though. No way I could catch a guy half my age. So I kept up the patter while I ran, hoping to say something that would make him stop. Stop didn't work. And neither did, hey, or wait up, or hold it. I tried halt in case he'd been in the service. No good. I tried to reassure him with, I ain't robbing you. But he either didn't believe me or didn't care. We can help each other out, I said. And I wonder why I said that. Now he probably thought I wanted to have sex with him. He kept getting further and further ahead. You don't stop. I'm going to get a heart attack, I yelled. This ain't how I was fixing to die. All you got to do to save my life is stop and answer a couple questions. Nothing. I was this close to giving it up. My side felt like someone had shoved a stiletto in there and given it a twist. Then I caught a break. For the first time, this damn city's never-ending dysfunction actually helped a brother. A couple blocks up, over from my shop, there's a little grocery owned by a little friendly West Indian fellow. The poor bastard's been stuck in a feud with his refuse collector for months and he can't get his garbage picked up for love or money. But he still holds out hope. And meanwhile, he's got to put the stuff somewhere. The guy ducked into an alley and tried to shake me, the alley next to the West Indian grocery. Suddenly, he found himself headed uphill, climbing a mountain of trash bags. He made it the whole way up before surprise kicked in. His footing gave out and he went tumbling down the other side. That took the wind out of his sails. Enough that he was still on his hands and knees when I reached the top. Someone of my years should know enough to keep his feet planted firmly on the ground, or firmly on the trash heap in my case. He certainly ought to know better than to tackle a much younger man. But I'd had enough and the gloves were off. When I say I tackled him, I mean tackled. I did a suicide dive that would have made Mil Mascaras blush. Even better, I didn't break a single bone. That's your car back there? The blue celebrity? Let me go, man. It's okay, boy. Just tell me about the car. It's not my car. I don't know anything about it. Look, you're not in trouble. In fact, 
Nothing would make me happier than to find out you're the owner. I don't have a car. Where you live, boy? Wherever. Nowhere. I don't live anywhere. He was lying. Now that I was calmed down a little, I noticed how scrawny and bony he was. He had on a denim jacket over a heavy sweatshirt. In late summer, mind you, and it still felt like I was wrestling a skeleton. I relaxed and let him up a little. That's really not your Chevy? No. What were you doing in there? Looking in the glove compartment for cigarettes. The glove compartment? You see anything in there? Insurance card, title, anything like that? Empty. I let go of him. He just sat staring. I wondered what he was seeing that I couldn't. Okay, look. I began, and he still didn't move. Stand up, boy. I took him by his jacket and jerked him to his feet. It was like when you grab an empty suitcase thinking it's full. Swear to God, I've had dogs that weighed more than him. What are you doing in Harlem? Am I in Harlem? He just kept contemplating the wall. I don't know where I am. Jesus. All right. First, if you're going to root through people's cars, go out to Nassau County where nobody has a gun. Second, here. I ain't smoked regularly in years, but I get the urge sometimes, so I keep a pack of Newports in my shirt pocket. I gave him the smokes and $20 besides. Break the 20 on something to eat and then jump on the first bus downtown. You won't last a day up here. He mumbled his thanks. How old are you, boy? 30? 1? 31? You got a ways to go yet, boy. You better get yourself together. We made our way back over the trash heap and Whitey took his leave. Hey, I yelled at him. You take care of yourself. He didn't turn around, but he gave me a little wave before he disappeared around the corner. So I guess it registered. Damn, but I wish that car had been his. I went home after that. Still took me forever to fall asleep. Can't figure why. I'd done more running that night than in the last 10 years. No surprise then that I was seriously dragging ass yesterday morning. Skipped breakfast and still didn't get to the shop until 5 after 10. When I turned the corner, the ambulance was heading off down the block. No siren, no lights, no hurry. It was either really minor or too late altogether. Bunch of locals standing around gawking and running their mouths. Joe was with them. Hey, it's you, Hefner, said Joe, checking his watch. How goes the life of leisure? What's all this? Guy died down the street. Found him in the doorway at the end of the block. He was already gone. They say how he died? Stroke, heart attack, overdose, who knows? Wasn't no blood or nothing. He wasn't all that old though. White guy. Go figure. You know I had to ask. Scrawny guy, denim jacket and sweatshirt? How you know that? We gotta talk. Inside. Me and Joe went in the shop and others took off to spread the news. Let me guess, that white boy, he was in the car out there last night. How'd you figure that out? I know a pattern when I see one. You think you're the only brother who can extrapolate? So you don't think I'm crazy? No crazier than you was yesterday. So you ain't gonna make me say it aloud. Joe didn't answer. We just stared out the front window at the celeb. It looked the same, not sinister at all. In fact, that ridiculous powder blue paint job was about the least sinister thing you can imagine, which bugged me. Evil should look evil. Otherwise, what the hell chance do any of us have? Yeah, I know why. 
Why I'd bother presenting myself as a veteran, a responsible businessman and a charitable person, a proverbial pillar of the community, only to start going on about a devil car. Because that's four people who sat in that celebrity and four people dead. To me, that goes beyond coincidence. But even if it didn't, wouldn't you take the chance? Look, I believe in God and Jesus Christ. Most days that's sufficient. But I know enough to know I don't know very much. Why was that car placed out front of our shop? Were we meant to vanquish this evil or succumb to it? I couldn't account for it any more than I can explain God. The car, like God, just was. Lord, forgive me for that blasphemous comparison. Only one thing's for sure. We got to get rid of that car. We'll tow it. Frank said he handled it if we wanted. Towing ain't good enough. I couldn't resist knowing it was loose in the world. We'll lock it first. Someone could still break in. Why would anyone do that? We can't take the chance. As long as that thing's intact, it's dangerous. We'll take the doors off or the steering wheel. Make it undrivable. Drivable don't enter into it, Joe. What does them in? Is it sitting in the seat? Closing the door? Turning the key? We can't take any chances because we don't know the rules. You ask me, I wouldn't even open the door. We should lock it right now. I ain't opening those doors. We should ask Miss Loretta to do it. I didn't mean to laugh. It just slipped out. Our vulgar sense of humor got us through Vietnam without going loco. And old habits die hard. But leaving aside that even Miss Loretta didn't deserve to die. You couldn't cram her into that Chevy even if you buttered the inside. Anyway, we'd be spared a visit from Miss Loretta today. It being Sunday, she was off bothering the Lord instead of us. I took up a post in the front of the window to keep an eye on the car while Joe searched the drawers and cabinets. It took him 15 minutes of digging through old tax returns and newspaper clippings, but he finally came up with what he was looking for, a yellow scrap of notepaper with Frank Boone's home number on it. He'd given it to us when he made assistant chief and moved to Manhattan South. He promised he'd be up for his regular haircuts, and he always has been, but he really must have felt like he was abandoning us. I told him I couldn't imagine a situation where I called him at home, but he pushed it on me anyway, and now I was glad he did. But it was the Sabbath. I caught myself hoping Frank wasn't a church-going man. If I had to do his job, I'd be in church every spare minute. But Frank was home. He and Joe talked a bit, and then Joe came back to the window. What'd he say, Joe? We got it covered. First thing tomorrow, crack of dawn, it gets told. Frank knows the dude who knows the dude. He'll open up the yard early for us, fudge the paperwork, and we'll crush that car to the size of a coffee table. Then ain't nobody getting in it. Why not today? A city yard with city employees on a Sunday? That's some things even the great Frank Boone can't do. We just got to watch the thing till the end. Should we close up shop? Nope. We just take turns cut. Keep one set of eyeballs on the celeb no matter what. And Frank will be up late this evening. Tonight, how come? To bring us some burgers. And to take a shift on guard duty. And he don't think we crazy. Hasn't had a chance to yet. He didn't ask no questions. Just said he'd take care of things. Frank's good people. Yeah. He's a real mensch, Joe said. And meant it.
And that was part one of our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Ever notice that strange old car parked somewhere that you've never noticed before, that never seems to move, always seems to just sit there, rain or shine, but regardless seems to have some strange story or history attached to it, some bizarre power, even? It's sitting there, somewhere, maybe you just haven't stopped and noticed it yet. Maybe you will, now. Tune in next week for the exciting conclusion of The Blue Celeb by Desmond Warzow. For now, though, let's hit our 100-character story winner this week by Cutter McKay with this one here. Check it out. I got her digits, Nathan bragged to his friend Stephen as he arranged her severed fingers on the tabletop. Yikes. Think you can write a good story with only 100 characters? Of course you can. It's just a matter of sitting down and doing it. We've even got a handy 100-character sizing tool to make it easy for you in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org, which is also where you go to post your 100-character twobble stories each week to be considered for the contest. You might be next week's winner. We post the winners early on Twitter each week. Follow us on Twitter if you use it, at the Drabblecast. And speaking of contests, a reminder that we're in the first round of our 2013 Drabblecast People's Choice Awards, where you get to nominate your five favorite stories, Drabbles, Twabbles, and episode cover arts from the last year. That's also going on at our discussion forums. Head over there and cast your nominations if you get a chance. Make your voice heard. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Special thanks to our episode artist, Matt Wasiella. Matt lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and spent the last six years doing illustrations for one of the state's standardized tests there. At one time, he says he painted pretty pictures, but now devotes most of his free time to chasing around a toddler, and also volunteering his awesome skill set to make the Drabblecast look prettier. We appreciate it, Matt. Our program this week was brought to you by managing editor Nathan Lee, our art director, Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you that evil should look evil. Otherwise, what other chance do we have? My left front wheel keeps clicking. Pick up the girlies. Now we're eight deep. Cars barely moving, but now we got heat. Made a left turn as I watched in fight. My ex-girlfriend shot out my headlights. She was standing in the road, so I smashed her toes. Mash my pedal, boom, down she goes. Boy ain't lying, long hair's flying. We flip the skis off, dumb girl starts crying. Baby called the cops. Now I'm getting nervous. The cops see a beaver and the suckers might serve us. Hit a side street. Dropping me a flip-off sign Put the deuce in reverse And started the curse Another sucker on the south side About to get hurt Homie got scared So I got on Yeah, my group got paid But my group's still strong Posse move north Heading for the CD Riding real fast So the cops don't see me Mismatched tires Got my boys up tight Two Vogues on the left Uniroyal on the right Hoopty bouncing Running on leaded This is what I sport When you call me big-headed Baby got ish. At the car, and you might get clipped by a hoop D.
push. Freak push. Sputter, sputter. Rolling over gutters. Car dip low with hardcore brothers. Tank on E. Bull in the Arco. Cops on tip for Colombian cargo. We fit a stereotype. That's what he said. Big long car for big black heads. Cops keep jocking. Grabbing like gators. About stereotypes. I'm looking nothing like Noyega. Cop took my wallet. Looked at my license. His partner said. Damn, they all look like Tyson. Yes, I'm legit. So they gotta let me go. This 